0: Today's special episode is brought to you by WW. That's Weight Watchers Reimagined. Their wellness ecosystem is informed by science, enabled by tech, and powered by
1: community. So a panic attack is, uh, it's horrific. Actually, I was having one like every day. It was really bad. It just, it would stop my day. It disrupted my life because I just could not function. And I knew that I didn't want to live my life that way, that I had way too much to do and offer. And I knew that I needed to make a change. Welcome to Skim This.
2: You might be looking at your feed and thinking, Skim This on a Monday? We're going to be candid. We're doing something a little bit different than our normal news show today. That's because the last year has been super stressful. Living through a global pandemic, protests against systemic racism in the US, and what felt like the longest, most dramatic presidential election ever. At some point, all of us wanted to just unplug, wait a few seconds, and hope that everything could just be normal again. Sometimes just turning on the news felt overwhelming, but we think staying engaged is pretty important and also kind of necessary. So we wanted to learn about a tool that can help us do that without burning out. That's why today, we're gonna dig into something that's been generating a lot of buzz over the last few years, mindfulness. We'll start by hearing from a skimmer who's used mindfulness to get through some tough moments. Then we'll dig into the science, as in, what even is mindfulness? Why is everyone telling me how great it is? And is there any actual evidence that it works? Then we'll explore whether mindfulness can help us stay engaged. And we'll finish up by talking tips, techniques, and ways to apply it. Along the way, we'll talk to experts like clinical psychologist Dr. Tara Brock, licensed mental health counselor B. Arthur, and Jacqueline London, head of nutrition and wellness at WW Weight Watchers Reimagined. Okay, let's do it.
1: My name is Jennifer Hutchins. I reside in Malone, New York, which is roughly an hour south of Montreal. I'm never not busy. I'm a mindfulness practitioner, a Reiki practitioner, and I've also been teaching uh, middle school English for 20 years. I'm a mother of three, two of whom have been diagnosed with autism for roughly about eight years. I started practicing when I had developed a panic and anxiety disorder due to my children's diagnosis with autism, because that was very new to me. It literally feels like a heart attack, you know, numbness in my arms, um, I would get dizzy. I would start to get these heart palpitations, get a short of instant breath. I've been to the emergency room several times because I truly felt like I was on the verge of dying so much that they just knew who I was when I came in. The only way that I could get over it is by like going outside and getting air and sometimes that wouldn't even help as well. So I was prescribed medication at first and uh, I didn't want that. It just was my choice not to do that. I started to actually seeing a Reiki practitioner and then she's like, hey, come to my mindfulness group. We can meet every Monday. My husband was the first one that noticed <laughs> my changes. He's like, you're, you're yourself. So I've been immersed in the teenage brain for 20 years. And I know that one of the biggest things with teenagers that they, that they struggle from is sleep. Teenagers are really, really reluctant. Honestly, the initial feeling, this is straight from one of my students' mouth, was like, Mrs. Hutchins, what kind of voodoo stuff are you teaching us today? But if I'm like, what if I told you that you would get better sleep? What if I told you you'd be a better hockey player, a better soccer player, better at anything that you could do because you can stop yourself in that present moment? My most favorite thing to teach my students, I basically say, okay, guys, this is going to help us like sleep. And I encourage you to use this tool before you go to bed. So let's check it out right now and let's check out what's happening with our bodies. So I invite them to close their eyes or they look at the floor and I say we're just going to pay attention to each part of our body without judgment. And then I start with the feet, we go to the knees, and then we just go through each part of the body just noticing what it feels like. And they just love it. They ask for it after that. They're like, can we do a body scan today? My very favorite story is having a student come to me. He was in sixth grade and he came to me and he said, I have these really important lacrosse tryouts and I don't want to mess it up. Can you please teach me how I can use mindfulness on the field? And so we did private sessions together for a while and uh, he'd made the team. I think that mindfulness is a practice we begin again, and we begin again, and we begin again, and, and it does not discount any type of emotion that we have, but it gives me a management system of how I can manage my emotions and do the best that I can in that moment. My favorite saying, it's a practical pause. This is practical. This is something that we can all take with us. We don't need any tools for it. We already have it with us. It's our breath, and we can use it, and it really helps. Let's be
2: real, it's 2021. We've all heard of mindfulness at this point. Most of us already know that mindfulness in theory is being purposefully aware of whatever we're currently thinking, feeling, or experiencing, as it happens. We're also supposed to just observe our reactions without judging them, which sounds hard. The thing is, like Jennifer and a lot of the kids she teaches, we're also never not busy. And as much as taking a practical pause sounds like a good idea, It also sounds like something we just don't have time for most days. So we wanted to hit pause on the idea of pausing for a second to ask, where did this idea even come from? And why are so many people talking about it right now? Here's the skim. Mindfulness dates all the way back to somewhere between the fourth and sixth centuries in India. The first known references to mindfulness actually come from Buddhist scripture, it's a long story, but the Buddha basically had a conversation with a few monks about reaching enlightenment. In that story, the Buddha tells the monks to observe four things as they experience them, physical sensations, their emotions, their thoughts, and their impulses. And by acknowledging those things as they come up, the monks can be more in control of their own minds. Fast forward 15 centuries or so to the late 1970s and some guy called John Kabat-Zinn. No one's really sure how, but a decade or so earlier, mindfulness made the leap from South Asia to the West. Some people say the idea came across with immigrants and refugees. Others say Westerners brought the idea back after traveling to Asia. By the late 1970s, Jon Kabat-Zinn, who had a PhD in molecular biology, had opened a mindfulness-based stress reduction clinic at the University of Massachusetts Medical Center. He's known for taking mindfulness from scripture to science. His research centered on stress and its effects on the immune system. Turns out, his research started a trend. Now, a bunch of neuroscientists and medical doctors are finding some real scientific links between practicing mindfulness and our physical health. One study from 2015, published in the Journal of the American Medical Association, found that doing two hours a week of mindfulness exercises helped adults struggling with everything from getting a good night's sleep to managing stress, anxiety, and depression. Okay, okay, so the science is cool, but 2020 was crazy, and so is 2021. We're still living through a deadly pandemic, and there have been a lot of important things to give our energy to, like protesting racial injustice, keeping up with a presidential transition, or figuring out how to get our grandparents vaccinated. And focusing on how we're feeling instead of the changes we want to bring about can kind of feel like a cop-out. Except, according to Dr. Tara Brock, it's the opposite of that.
3: Mindfulness is the prerequisite to intelligent, compassionate action.
2: Brock is a clinical psychologist and researcher. She's been practicing mindfulness for decades and has been asked about mindfulness and inaction before.
3: We were about to attack Iraq, and people said to me, well, should we be mindfully accepting? And I said, no, not at all. I shared a meditation I do where... I read the newspaper and I get totally inflamed and angry and I would then pause and I would feel under the anger that I was afraid. I was afraid of all the mayhem that was going to happen, the violence. And then I'd feel under the, under that fear that I was caring, that that it was because I cared about life and cared about people's well-being. And then I would act. I actually got arrested.
2: So for Brock, Practicing mindfulness can be a way to deepen her engagement with the causes she cares about. And she says we can use mindfulness to create compassion within our everyday activities, too.
3: When my mother moved down here when she was 82 and I was super busy and it was really hard to spend time with her because I was always so anxious about getting things done. And one day I realized, oh, my gosh, you know, she's going to die and I'm going to have just been a busy person.
2: Brock literally wrote the book on a method she developed to help her stay present.
3: The main strategy I wanna share, in addition to a regular mindfulness practice that's formal, is the acronym RAIN. That's R-A-I-N. The RAIN stands for this, recognize, allow, investigate, and nurture i practice RAIN with my anxiety. R was to recognize the anxiety. A means allow. Let it be there. Don't try to fix it. Don't try to judge it. I is investigate.
2: Brock says investigate normally means figuring out what thoughts are going through our minds and then observing how our bodies are reacting. So, for example, if we're feeling anxious, we might notice that our heart is beating faster or our throat feels a little tight. That helps us get in touch with the emotions we're feeling,
3: which... Sets me up to nurture, the end of rain, where I'll actually send a message to myself. It could be as simple as, you know, it's okay, sweetheart, or, you know, you, you, thank you to the fear, but you don't have to protect me right now.
0: The past year made a lot of us think about the habits we want to make and break. WW can help with that. They just launched MyWW Plus, their most holistic, flexible, and effective wellness program ever. It uses the science of behavior change to help you build and sustain healthy habits across food, movement, sleep, and mindset. Take a free personal assessment and they'll make a custom plan just for you. Visit ww.com/theskim to get a limited time offer. That's wwcom slash skim.
2: Brock's four-letter acronym, RAIN, sounds like it could really help, but it also might take some getting used to at first. And we wanted to know, is there anything really quick that we could squeeze into our existing routines right here and right now? So we called B. Arthur. She's a licensed mental health counselor and the founder and CEO of The Difference, an online therapy service. She's going to walk us through an exercise that we can do if we only have a few seconds to spare.
4: It really is like what you have in your mind starts with what you see. So first, we're gonna close our eyes and just block out all that stuff. All of the noise of the week, all of the news of the week, all of the things that demanded our attention, all the very real and sometimes self-imposed urgency and pressure. It already happened. It's done. It got your time, now this time is for you. So just close your eyes. Hmm. <sighs> And take a really deep breath in through your nose. And then breathe it all out. I like to make noise with it too. and Just like literally get it out. So just breathe in new energy, new air. And then breathe it out. Well done. Thank you for doing that with me. It feels so much lighter, I don't know what just happened. It's real breath. Arthur says one thing that she finds helpful is actually counting as she breathes. So a really good one that a lot of people like to do is breathing in for four, breathe holding it for four, and then breathing out for four. But I like to do, breathe one long in for 14, <laughs> and then one long breath out. And it's not just Arthur.
2: Studies published in health and neuroscience journals have shown that certain breathing techniques can improve our mood, heart rate, and blood pressure. Okay, so now we've learned how to really breathe and take in our surroundings. But mindfulness isn't all in and out and looking around. There are other ways to practice it. We're less inclined to want to rush through something that we really love doing. That's Jackie London. She's a registered dietitian and currently head of nutrition and wellness for WW, Weight Watchers Reimagined. Changes to our routines, thanks coronavirus, can make it more difficult to do anything mindfully, even things we love. But London says we can trick our minds into engaging and even enjoying some of those moments instead of stress eating.
3: The
0: things that feel special or elevated to you, I mean, I personally have a cup that I just love to drink. My morning coffee's gonna come out of this cup. I look forward
2: (laughs) forward to the cup and the coffee. London says one of her favorite activities is actually eating. And for her, it provides a chance to practice mindfulness every day. But for us mere mortals who typically inhale our lunch at our desks, well, that sounded like a lot of work. So we asked London for some advice. I would say that I'm an emotional eater, for example, like there's a lot of chocolate and cheese in my fridge with my name on it. Stress eating is totally
0: normal. It is 100% normal. Chocolate and cheese are are two foods that are both, I would say, mainstays of, of my diet as well. They're so delicious, but when you think about it, it's really, that comes back to the idea of why you're making the choices that you're making. I would say it's always about your intention. So if your intention is is to eat chocolate and cheese because you just want to eat to feel better, that's a different process of feeling like I'm making a conscious choice to eat these foods because I love them and I know that they nourish me. And again, I, I bring this back to the idea of nourishment going beyond your plate. It's really how do you feel physically, but how do you feel psychologically? How do you feel emotionally? Then the other thing that I would say is have a designated time and place that really feels like this is the meal eating zone.
2: I love that when you're talking about creating a space and I was like, you mean how I push my laptop a little bit to the side so I can like put it right here? (laughs)
0: Right, exactly just giving yourself that that kind of that designated moment that time and space to really enjoy the food that is where i feel like staying connected to what you're doing in any given time and place is is truly something that is honestly fundamental and that moment can be fleeting but this is your moment to really get your delicious meal into your body and to feel energized as a result of that that automatically sets you up for making more mindful
2: choices So basically, just about any activity we pick can be mindful. Everything from breathing to more active stuff, like eating. Food is nourishment,
0: and thinking about the ways that we nourish ourselves in ways that go beyond the plate is just as important. One thing we talk about all the time at WW is that what you eat starts with how you think, really.
2: And there are plenty of techniques we can use to help ourselves focus,
4: like clinical psychologist B. Arthur does. I love crystals because they give you something shiny to focus on. Like This is called Dragonstone, and it's if you want to feel like a warrior, for example. This is called Howlite, and apparently it cleanses you if you're having like residual anger. So like I can just kind of like focus on the feeling that I want to have, that I feel deficient in.
2: And maybe if we get really good at it, we can relax enough to take in the beauty around us like Dr. Brock.
3: So the training is learning to come back again and again to the present moment. Like right now, I'm looking at the trees silhouetted against the sky and take in the beauty.
2: Research has shown that practicing mindfulness can help us feel calmer, sleep better, and stay engaged with the things we care about. It can also help us come to terms with our present, no matter what that present is. If you listened to this show and decided you want to try a few techniques yourself, we're leaving some resources in our show notes. We've got links to tips on Dr. Brock's RAIN method and To Be Arthur's work. We're also putting a link to the WW Weight Watchers Reimagined website. They've got resources on living a mindful, healthy life, plus custom made plans that can help us sustain healthy habits. Thanks for listening to Skim This. This podcast was skimmed by Elizabeth Smith, Kira Long, and Luke Vargas, with additional help from Peter Bonaventure. Our head of audio is Graylin Brashear, and I'm your host, Justine Davey. We'll be back in your feed again on Thursday with the news, which could be good. But could also be all sorts of bad. But at least now we have some advice on how to breathe through it. For more skim and to sign up for our daily newsletter, head on over to theskim.com.